you're getting in the Christmas spirit, the Christmas mood, I wanted to share a little bit of a Christmas mood slide here. Let's see if I can uh, throw it up for you. This uh, is a time of the year that, you know, I'm really lucky to uh, ha be, have a great uh, partner in Jeanette. You know, she loves Christmas and uh, we've already been out. We've harvested our 11 foot Christmas tree, actually even bigger than the one here in this picture. Um, from our neighbor's tree farm, you know, we think we probably can get a 12 footer in there. So that's maybe the goal, you know, for the years next year. But uh, Christmas has always been a big family day for us. You know, whether it's, you know, pajamas for the kids on Christmas Eve, that was always a tradition of getting them new pajamas, uh, or watching the kids sort of lined up on the stairs coming from their bedrooms upstairs, waiting for the okay to come in on Christmas morning to uh, see what uh, Santa has delivered, um, or whether it was, you know, making monkey bread to eat, uh, another thing we did, or just the, you know, the fun of opening presents, presents together. A lot of traditions that we really love from that. And, um, you know, we always live far away from our extended family, you know, right out of the gate, we moved 3000 miles away from home to Boston. And then, you know, not to be outdone, moved another couple thousand miles to Germany. And so that really forced us to, to build traditions, to build things that we do uh, as a family together uh, away from our, our extended family. But it also really made us sort of rely on our kingdom family and to build traditions with the kingdom family. And, and so here in this, uh, in this little shot, you get to see uh, one of our uh, Christmas parties with the family group a few years ago. Um, but so many interesting things. I remember one time that we uh, we all came together and we had our beautiful Yankee swap. And of course, you have to be careful with Carolyn Slater because she wraps things so beautifully, you know, so awesome. You're going, this is something straight from Tiffany's. I'm gonna I'm going to get this. I've got to go out on a limb to get this. And it turns out that it's leftover spam from Pat's hiking trip on the Pacific Crest Trail. And that year, it wasn't just one spam. I think somebody else brought spam. And, and the interesting thing about our group is that somebody went home fired up that they got spam. So that was pretty cool. But, um, you know, that and, uh, you know, getting the opportunity to play reverse charades around Christmas songs. Um, and so if you've never done reverse charades, that's where everybody acts it out except one and one person has to guess. And uh, it's, it's interesting to watch you know, eight or 10 people act out, uh, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, or think of your other, you know, Christmas Carol, <clears throat> Carols by Candlelight, you know, just the fun of that, of everybody getting to participate, you know, spending time warming yourselves at Prindle Road at the Slater's house uh, by the fire. Uh, hopefully get to do that again out in the woods here soon, <clears throat> you know, but in this, you know, this time was interesting with the family group because another family group, see if I can advance the slide here, decided they were going to go around and carol to the other family groups. And so we got to see the meters and, and Helen and some others join us. Shelby looks like she's there and Kyle and Emmy. And so it was fun just to uh, even to have them in that night uh, and enjoy the time together. And as I was going through some of my, my uh, photos to pull these out, I came across another family group photo from a few years earlier uh, in my life. And so I'm on the far left with Jeanette. You can't recognize me. I was a little heavier then. 
Um, but uh, in the center there, in the blonde hair, is, is, is Brenda Neff. She was actually in our family group. And uh, the proof I have is you look in the very back, there's a, the star that's on our tree today is on the star that's on the tree back there. And so this was a Christmas family group banquet, I think, at the time. But it just, you know, reminds me about how special uh, our kingdom family is together. And it's, it's going to be different this year. You know, we, we've already had to cancel our kids coming home and our, my son and his wife coming up from Boston uh, because of COVID. You know, we're, we're making accommodations. You know, we sent out packages yesterday and, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to figure out a way to make it special, even though we're remote. Stand by, my life team, we're going to figure out reverse charades on Zoom. Um, it should be a hoot. We'll try that out. Um, but, you know, the, the Christmas time, I've got a couple more slides, and I won't have slides the whole time. But uh, the title today is, is, God, is God With Us? Um, and I should have given Steve a heads up. He already clammed on to my first scripture. But uh, that's, that's cool, because that really is the message, is that the announcement that uh, was made that God was going to be with us through Jesus. And I don't know how you are, but uh, when it comes to, you know, words like Messiah, it's the kind that I thought I knew what it meant until I actually went and looked it up and figured out what it really meant. And uh, I realized that I was a little bit uh, confused about it, or, or maybe not confused. It just it was a word that I was associated with as a Christmas word. It's Messiah, right? It's, it's yeah, Jesus the Messiah. But here I'll give my last slide a little bit of help through it. So the word Messiah comes from or goes along with the word anointing. And so in Hebrew, it was Messiah. In Greek, it was, was uh, I can't even pronounce it there. It's the word to anoint. And it's really stood for the Messiah was the anointed one. And so uh, when you anointed someone, that's how you proclaim them, either a priest or a prophet or a king. You know, we're used to saying the king was crowned. You know, we don't have kings anymore, but when we watched The Crown or one of those other movies on, on Netflix, when they, then they appoint a king and they crown him. Well, in, in uh, the ancient times, uh, at least in the Jewish tradition, they anointed him. And so the kings were anointed, priests were anointed, prophets were anointed. But there's a special, there's this, this whole concept, really starting from Genesis 3, uh, there's going to be a, a savior, uh, uh, an anointed one who's going to come. And it turns out he's going to be both a king, a priest, and a prophet. But uh, that word anointed or the anointed one uh, became Christ. So through Latin, Christos, Christus, to our English, Christ. And so when we say the word Christ, Jesus Christ, you've always been saying Messiah. Uh, you didn't know you were speaking Hebrew when you were saying Christ. And it really is this idea that Jesus, you know, forgive me, it's not Jesus, it's not Jesus's last name, Jesus Christ, right? It's, it really is a title. And and uh, one translator just says, well, maybe we should just say King Jesus. So when we say Jesus Christ, we read Christ in the Bible, just read King. This is the King, the one King for all time. You know, so when we think about God being with us, it, it just made me think about Romans 8, where it says, you know, if God is for us, who can be against us? You know, this is not just a King. I mean, if you know the Queen or the King in England, and something happens, that's a good thing. But when you know the king, the king over all nations for all time, it's super powerful. It's super awesome. <clears throat> and so we'll, uh, we'll uh, 
cancel the slides now. That's enough slides for the moment. But um, this whole idea of, of Jesus' kingship, it was really contrary to what people were expecting. You know, when, uh, when, they, when Pilate was, you know, working to plan to crucify Jesus, he said to the, uh, to the ruling Jewish leaders, he said, shall I release your king? And they responded in John 19, they said, we have no king but Caesar. That was their response. The people that were supposed to be looking for the Messiah, when they saw Jesus, they said, that's not the guy. That's not the one we read. This humble servant, that's not the king we want. And they totally did the opposite of what God wanted. They said, well, okay, Caesar's our king. And clearly that was not the right response. But then even the, the people that, that followed Jesus, you know, think about Peter. You know, so when Peter heard about Jesus' suffering, you know, what did he say? That will never happen. And Jesus had a nice response to him. and says, get behind me, Satan. So even, you know, Peter hearing the gospel of Jesus, hearing the, the prophecy, the, the reality of, of the Messiah, his first response, no way, that's, that's not right. Or, you know, some of the other guys in the group there, you know, James and John, you know, they were sort of thinking about what's it going to be like? And, you know, they got with their mom and they had a little talk with the Messiah and they said, hey, can we sit on your left and your right in glory? Wouldn't that be fun? And of course, that was not the right response. You know, or, you know, Thomas, after the, after the crucifixion, even the resurrection, Thomas says, well, unless I can see the physical wounds, I'm not going to believe it. You got to prove this thing to me. You know, this is not what I was expecting. So I don't feel so bad all of a sudden when the guys who had spent several years with Jesus as his disciples, mano a mano together every day, year after, you know, for several years, they struggle with it. They had a challenge understanding what's it mean to be the Messiah. Let's turn over to uh, Luke chapter 24. If you look at Luke 24 in verse 17. Actually, I start in verse 13. It says, now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they had been kept, they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? Interesting, you know, you're, you're walking along and some stranger comes up and just says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And really their response is, what else is there to talk about? You know, what else could we possibly be talking about? Not just as disciples of Jesus, but as everyone who was in Jerusalem at the time. The, the biggest thing going on was the story about Jesus. Uh, and from their perspective, though, it, it wasn't a good response. Let's continue here. It says, what things he asked well, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. 
And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. <clears throat> they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. <clears throat> then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see it, <clears throat> but, they, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was in all the scriptures concerning him. <clears throat> I think that's going to be a challenge to me, to us, to think about that Jesus just went back to all of the scriptures to explain what the Messiah, what the Christ was supposed to suffer through. And I think that's time for a different lesson. We look at Isaiah, we look at Ezekiel, we look at Genesis, we look at just the different scriptures that really foretold what was going to have to happen to our the suffering servant, to the king that was going to be the fulfillment of the scriptures. And yet they weren't they weren't ready for it at that point. So let's continue. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. Uh, so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, we're not our hearts burning within us while, we, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. They got up, returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true. The Lord is risen as appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized when he broke the bread. You know, can you believe that? It's, we, we had hoped. We had hoped he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. You know, we've heard reports about him, but we still don't believe. Now, it wasn't like Jesus hadn't talked about these things as, as, as he was walking with them in the last several years. It wasn't that it was obvious that these were the things that were happening, but it, it wasn't obvious to them. It really hadn't hit them. You know, he showed them the scriptures as he was walking. You know, I thought it was interesting. It's COVID friendly, right? Jesus was outside walking with these guys that he met on the road at a distance, talking with them about the scriptures. You know, that's the one thing we can still do. We still are allowed to go out and walk with each other at arm's length with a mask on. We still can talk about the scriptures. That's all it took for the scriptures to burn in their hearts. That's all it took. I think sometimes we think, well, it's, it's, we've got to really understand this. Now, Jesus said, Let, let's just look at the things we know from the scriptures and how they fit in. And I'm sure he talked about Genesis, and I'm sure he talked about Isaiah, and I'm sure he talked about Ezekiel, and I'm sure he talked about a bunch of other things that maybe I haven't even made the connection on. But it really was that easy to respond through the scriptures. You know, really, it's, it's how do we respond to the cross? I think the hard one was that the guy that we thought was the Messiah, he got killed. He's dead. It's over. You know, and it was over for the majority, for all the crew, right? Peter's back fishing. They're all doing stuff. They've all really, you know, in a sense, given up for the moment. I can do the same thing. You know, I can be that way. 
do I really have to suffer like that to follow Jesus? You know, do I really have to be loving all the time? You know, not just sometime or most of the time, Jesus loving all the time. You know, do I have to be humble? You know, do I have to be merciful? Is that really what the Messiah, you know, what Jesus wants of me? You know, the exciting thing is because of Jesus, we have access to the power of God. God is going to be with us, give us his Holy Spirit, empower us, give us a promise that we're going to be with him forever. And yet he expects us at this moment to, uh, and all the time, to be willing to take up the cross and to carry our own cross. What I want to do for the rest of our time together is I'm going to look at a, just a, what Jesus said <clears throat> briefly in Mark 8. And then we'll, we'll go and we'll take some turns reading uh, a couple of the responses that, that uh, Peter and Paul and John had to uh, understanding the power of the cross. <clears throat> and we'll use that to finish out our time. So go over in Mark, Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. Um, <clears throat> in Mark 8, 34, uh, Jesus said, he, he, he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. <clears throat> I don't know if you thought about it, but uh, we're, we're not just following a misunderstood Messiah. I mean, he clearly was misunderstood, misunderstood by the Roman authorities, by the Jewish authorities, by his own disciples at the time. But he's calling us to also be misunderstood. He's calling us to also go and walk the way he walked, <clears throat> to be persecuted the way he was, uh, because we're, we're being something different than the world expects us to be. You know, you think about it, it's, you know, Jeanette had a great comment on this. It's, it's, it's opposite day when you're following Jesus. You know, and uh, I've never, I haven't been in kindergarten since I was five, so that was a long time ago. But Jeanette told me often in kindergarten, they would do opposite day, you know, where they would wear pajamas to school and do things like that. And it really struck us <clears throat> for, from this verse, <clears throat> excuse me, that this really is this concept <clears throat> that Jesus is calling us to do, to deny ourselves is opposite day. You know, <clears throat> so you want to save your life? We'll lose it. <clears throat> Look at the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you. It's more blessed to give. <clears throat> then to receive. All right, let's test that out. It's Christmas time. Just give more and you'll receive more, right? That's, that's a good thing. But just in general, <clears throat> it's more blessed to give. It, but wait a minute. Then Jesus went on and said, it's, it's blessed when people insult you, <clears throat> when they persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Be, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven <clears throat> for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I don't feel right. I'm sorry. Sort of line up with my namesake. This is not feeling that great. Or he goes on <clears throat> there in Matthew. He says that, okay, anytime you lust, that's just the same thing as committing adultery. Or anytime you just get angry, that's right up there with murder. You know, don't bother giving an oath or a promise. Just anytime you say yes, it's got to be yes. And anytime it's no, it's no. There's no getting out of it. Again, it's backward day. It's really an interesting way to think about that the, the Messiah who came as king wasn't recognized by the Roman authorities. He wasn't recognized by the Jewish authorities as king because he was so backward. He was so different. 
He brought a promise that was just totally different than what people were expecting. And so can I get somebody to read? We're going to first look at Paul's reaction to this in, in Philippians 3, 8 through 11. So who could read Philippians 3, 8 through 11? Just wave your hand when you're there and we'll... All right, Kai, go ahead. Um, it says, what, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and power in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Awesome, thank you. <clears throat> And so here, you know, Paul is saying that because of Christ, well, wait a sec, because of the Messiah, because of the anointed king, I've lost everything, everything. In fact, you know, when I, when I sort of weigh it out and figure it out, I just consider it garbage. Everything that I thought was important, that I valued before, when I met the Messiah, it became worthless because the only thing that mattered that was a profit for me was to be found in him to, you know, my whole, I mean, think about Paul, <clears throat> Paul was very uh, far up as a Jewish rabbi, right? <clears throat> he had status in the Torah, he had status in the law. And yet his decision here is that the only status that mattered to him is being found faithful to Christ, faithful to the King, faithful to the Messiah. <clears throat> that was what was important to him. It was it was important to know him, to know the power of his resurrection, to know the partnership in his suffering, <clears throat> to even to die in the same form or pattern that Jesus died. So somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead, to somehow <clears throat> be pleasing to God himself. <clears throat> that was what changed when Paul connected uh, with the Messiah, <clears throat> when he connected with Jesus, when he connected with uh, the power of the cross. That was his reaction. It, you can't think of a person in, in the Jewish leadership who changed more radically than Paul did, who went from being the one who was actively going after killing Christians to one who was actively proclaiming the word of God as a Christian. Such a powerful reaction to the Messiah. Let's look at another one over in, in, uh, with, uh, in 1 Peter 1. 3 through 9. Who can read that? 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Yeah, Chris, go ahead. All right. Um, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. 
In all this, you greatly rejoice, though for a little while, though now for a little while, you may have had to gr suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you still believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Great, thank you. I mean, so here you see, you know, Peter's reaction to receiving Jesus, to receiving the Messiah. <clears throat> if anybody was ready for a turnaround, it was Peter. He clearly didn't have a great response uh, to Jesus being arrested, even to the point where he <clears throat> denied that he ever knew him. That uh, he, in John, in the end of John, he had to be reconciled. He had to be brought back into the fold. You know, Peter was the one when they said, well, go tell the disciples and Peter <clears throat> that Jesus is resurrected. The reason possibly that it was said that way is because when you denied a teacher, you no longer were considered a disciple. You no longer were considered a follower. So the fact that Peter had publicly said, I don't know Jesus, I have nothing to do with the man, um, it probably meant that he wasn't even considered a disciple of Jesus to the point when Jesus said, hey, go get the disciples and Peter. <clears throat> and Peter was pulled back in. What a great way to understand the forgiveness that comes through the Messiah, <clears throat> to understand that how far off, how, how wrong his response had been. And yet here he just says, you know, you, you greatly rejoice because for a little while you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. If you think about the kinds of trials that Peter had to suffer, <clears throat> being imprisoned and punished uh, for his belief and pro proclamation of Jesus, the suffering that he had to endure, um, it's interesting that he, he just talks about it's only for a little while, it's only a little bit of grief, it's just a trial. <clears throat> you know, my faith, his faith is of greater worth than gold. Even that perishes when it's refined by fire, and it's, it's, it's more valuable than even that, than the most valuable thing you have, because it's, it's a joy in knowing that you're going to realize the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul, your relationship with God. <clears throat> That's what it meant to Peter to have the Messiah, to have the anointed king with him. It meant that all the suffering, all the trials, all the failures, all the mistakes <clears throat> were really just refining him, changing him making him like Jesus as Jesus went through his sufferings. I'd like to look at one more reaction in Revelation 12, 10 through 11. Who, who can read that? Revelation 12, 10 through 11. I can do it, Peter. Oh yeah, go ahead. You said Revelation 12, 10 through 11. Did I do that right? That's 12, right. Says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. 
They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So here's John, probably older than me, um, banished on the Isle of Patmos, writing to the disciples about what it meant to react to follow the Messiah. You know, and here he says Christ or the uh, Messiah is another understanding of that. So the authority of the Messiah has caused the accuser to be thrown down to be overcome, to be destroyed. Uh, the one who's trying to accuse us day and night before God, <clears throat> he was conquered by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony because they did not love their lives <clears throat> unto death or up to death. That was really John's response is that this is what's conquered is the fact that we've decided that we're going to follow the Messiah, that we're going to make him Lord, that God is going to be with us, that we're going to stick to his word, and we're going to stick to the forgiving power of the blood of Jesus. Um, we're not going to let even death take that away from us. We're, we're going to be faithful unto death. What an amazing, fanatical, powerful, incredible response that, that John had to the message of the Messiah. Just amazing challenging it's convicting that passage has always been convicting to me to think that in those times when uh, it, it was pretty easy to get killed for your faith in first century jerusalem in that area and they were not willing to give up even if it meant their lives they were going to follow the messiah let's let's close that let's look over and back in luke 24 where we started with jesus talking to the disciples near emmaus Let's look back there in Luke 24 and verse 30. And it says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their, their, their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures for us? They got up, returned at once to Jerusalem Though they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true. The Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the, the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Now, obviously, their eyes were opened at the breaking of bread. You know, breaking of bread is something that Jesus commanded us to do as we remember communion on a, on a every time we get together. Um, you know, in Acts 2, it became the, the standard of the church. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And so I think my question for you today is, as we take communion in just a minute, as we break bread together, will your eyes be opened? What will your response be? What will my response be to just the fact that God is with me, that God, through Jesus, brought the anointed one to uh, give me victory over death, to give me a relationship with him, <clears throat> to give me the opportunity to be forgiven of my sins, uh, just to have the powerful joy of an eternal relationship with God. Just think about that. What's going to open up for me today? What's going to open up for you today as you, as you really ponder and reflect on <clears throat> how the first century disciples responded to the message of Jesus? In just a second, I'm going to I'm going to put on a, a, a song 
that we'll use to reflect with as we uh, as we go into a time of taking communion. Give me just a sec here. So listen to the words of this song. Uh, think about how Jesus wants you to respond and open your eyes. And then we'll lead that into a, uh, a time of, of personal reflection and prayer as we take communion. <clears throat> 